a powerful message in music. That's the message that we as a congregation, we as God's people, are to take to the world. And what a great introduction to this message this morning. You know we're in a series of messages entitled Building a Five-Star Church. Every local church should seek to be that type of church. This morning's message is entitled An Evangelizing Church. So I hope you have your Bibles handy. If you do, please turn them to the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. You'll find that is our foundational passage for all of the messages in this series. And as you turn there, listen carefully to God's Word. The last command given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before He ascended into heaven is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 through 21. In that passage, Jesus said to us, Go therefore into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of of the age. It seems that the church is doing everything but the one thing that Jesus told us to do. Listen, according to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, there are more than four billion people in the world who will never hear the gospel. Based on the death rate and the unreached parts of the world, more than 12 million people a year. 235,000 per week. 32,000 per day. 1,400 per hour. 23 people per minute. Roughly one person every three seconds slips into a Christless eternity having never heard the gospel message. You might think that Georgia is an exception, but you would be mistaken. According to a 2005 article in the Christian Index called Lost in Georgia, about 80% of the people in any Georgia county will be in no one's church this Sunday morning. The unchurched population of Georgia is estimated to be around 70%. That means that of the nearly 9 million residents of Georgia, 6.3 million are believed to be lost and bound for eternal separation from God. So here this morning, this is the question. What are we as God's people going to do about the lost condition in our world and specifically in our community? That's a very important question that we all have to answer. Because we need to be the people that God wants us to be. You say, well, pastor, uh, there are churches all over this nation with the purpose of reaching the world for Christ. Well, then you will be sad to hear what I'm about to tell you. In the Southern Baptist Convention, which is what I would argue is the most 
evangelistic denomination in the world with a great mission thrust. In an average year, there will be 10,000 of our churches that will report zero baptisms for an entire year. That's 23% of the churches in our convention without a single baptism all year long. Such a condition was not a problem in the early church. You'll find here in the book of Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 47 that we see a description of this early church. And as we look closely at this growing congregation... We will, find five, we will find five functions that are necessary for any church to be strong and healthy. Now, these five functions are as follows. Worship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, and fellowship. Thus, that's why we're preaching the series of messages focusing on each one of these functions. Now today, I want us to see that building a five-star church requires reaching the lost with the gospel. We cannot be, nor can any church be a five-star church unless we have a passion to reach people for Jesus. So I want us to look at this passage this morning and and see what is involved in a church being an evangelizing church. First of all, as we look at this passage, we see the message of an evangelizing church. Now, that's very important. You cannot be an evangelistic church without a strong biblical message. You'll find that message presented here in this passage. Notice with me as we look at verse 41. So, Then those who had received his word were baptized. His word is a reference to the message that the people gathered here at Pentecost just heard. It was a message preached by Peter who stood boldly before the people and proclaimed a biblical message. He used Joel and the Psalms as his texts. He used those passages of the Old Testament and then he preached Jesus. The sinless life, the sacrificial death, and the glorious resurrection of Christ as the only means whereby people can be saved. So it was a biblical message. Now you might be thinking, well, pastor, that's pretty simple. Sure, we are to have a biblical message. It may sound simple, but unfortunately... That is not the case in many churches throughout our nation. Now, I am thankful that we still have some people who believe the Bible and they're not afraid to teach the Bible. But far too often, it is the case that in many churches, you will not hear about the blood of Christ. You will not hear about hell. You will not hear about the exclusivity of Jesus, how that he's the only way to be saved. You'll have more of a counseling session than you will anything. There is not an exposition of the Word of God. I'm saying that God's people have the responsibility to bear a biblical message. Not just from this pulpit, not just from our classrooms, but as we leave this place and go into this world, people need to hear the message of the gospel clearly and lovingly proclaimed. So we're to bear a biblical message. 
But also, we are to have a personal message. If we're going to be an evangelistic church, we have to have a personal message. You'll find here in this same verse 41, as the apostle was preaching, he applied the message to where the people were. He talked to them about their need and how the gospel could meet their spiritual need. So he applied it to their daily life. We must take the biblical message and apply it to people where they are. And the first application is that a person needs to be saved. Oh yes, the Bible can help you with your finances. The Bible can help you with your relationships. The Bible can help you feel better about yourself. And all these things are true. But the most important thing the Bible will do is show you your need for Christ and how that you're lost without Him and He's the remedy for sin and He will bring you in a right relationship with the Creator. And that's the first message people need to hear is the message of the gospel. So we're to bear a biblical message and a personal message but also a transformational message. Notice again, verse 41, the Bible reads the second part of this verse and That day there were added about 3,000 souls. Well, what happened to cause this addition of souls? They heard the gospel. The word of God was proclaimed. The message was clear. And therefore the result was that people became saved. They were transformed. Years ago, there was a terrible train wreck that occurred in one of our eastern states that killed numerous young students and left many others injured. The tragedy happened when a mechanical problem occurred that caused the train to stall on its tracks. In order to prevent a rearing collision, the engineer of the disabled train sent a flagman back behind the train to wave a red flag to prevent any oncoming trains from running into the rear of this train that had stalled. Unaware of the possible danger, the students sat there in that train laughing and talking, thinking that all was well. Suddenly a whistle was heard in the distance. It was an oncoming train. This train sped past the flagman and struck violently the stalled train as it sat there being repaired on the tracks. Before the collision occurred, the engineer of the oncoming train was able to free himself from his compartment and jump to safety before the accident. Days later, he was asked to appear in court to account for his actions. During the trial, a contradiction occurred in his testimony and the testimony of the flagman. The engineer was asked, did you not see the flagman warning you to stop? He replied, I saw him, but he waved a yellow flag. And I took it for granted that all was well and I continued, but at a slower speed. Well, when the flagman was asked if this were true, he said, I waved a red flag. And when I waved that flag... The train just kept coming like a shot right past me. Are you sure? He was asked. Absolutely, the flagman replied. After both men insisted that their testimonies were, in fact, accurate, the flagman was asked to present the flag that he had used on that dreadful day. When the flag was shown, 
the mystery was solved. The flag that the flagman waved that day was originally red. But through time, the sunlight and weather had faded that red flag and it had turned a dull yellow. Because of its faded color, its message was lost. We live in a day where weak-kneed preachers and carnal Christians have faded the message of the gospel. It is a tragedy that while 70% of our population is headed for a collision with God's judgment, many churches are timidly waving the dull yellow flag of a deluded message. A five-star church will boldly proclaim the glorious message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. We as God's people must make the message of the gospel clear for people to hear so that we will be an evangelizing church the way God intends. But not only do we see the message of an evangelizing church as we look at this New Testament church here in the book of Acts, we also see the mission of an evangelizing church. Oh, the mission is very important. As a matter of fact, I started this message by reading the Great Commission as recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And if you'll notice, that commission is very consistent. As a matter of fact, it mirrors what you'll find here in this passage. How that these believers were carrying out that commission given to them by the Lord Jesus. And so should we. They were on a mission to go. To go into all the world and proclaim the Gospel. Look at verse 41. Here the Bible says... So then those who had received his word were baptized. How is it that they could receive the word? It was because God's people were going bearing the message. They were being faithful to the call of God on their lives. But just as God has called those people to go with this message, he has called us Christians in our day. In all churches that proclaim the good news of Jesus, to go out into the world and spread that good news. Do you think the world needs some good news? I said, do you think that the world is in need of some good news? Absolutely they are. are. And we have the best news of all. You know, out in Las Vegas, they have a saying. I've never been to Las Vegas, but they do have a saying that says, what happens here stays here. You know, I believe that there are many churches that have adopted that motto. What happens here stays here. But that is contrary to what we're taught in the Word of God. The Word of God says we're to go. And actually, the description is that as we are going, we are to proclaim the gospel. Think about all the places we will go this week. There will be some people, no doubt, who will fly out of the country from this church. Think about just from this church, the people who will be going out across this nation on business and vacations and people who are are going around the state and throughout this town, thousands of directions we will go. We should all be taking with us the good news of Jesus, lovingly sharing as we are going to the various places around the world. So we have a mission to go. We also have a mission to make disciples. Again, verse 41 So then those who had received his word, once they heard the message of the the gospel, they they were pricked in their hearts. 
They saw their need. They responded to the message as the power of the Holy Spirit was at work in their lives. And they were converted from their old lives to new lives in Christ Jesus. They were changed. They were transformed by the power of the gospel. So we have a mission not just to go out and tell people about Jesus, but give them an opportunity to come to Christ. Tell them what they need to do to be saved. That is, they need to acknowledge their sinfulness, embrace Jesus as a Savior, trust Him, ask Him to forgive them and to cleanse them, and He will. So we're to go and make disciples, but also this mission involves baptizing. Verse 41 tells us that after they received the Word, that is after they were saved, they were baptized. Baptism is the first act of obedience for a new believer. Baptism should follow the conversion experience should not precede it. And it should be in the form of immersion. As a matter of fact, that's what the word literally means, to dip beneath the water. And, and with that mode of baptism, it pictures the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection with Christ and our identity with him. So it conveys once again to a watching world the message of the gospel. Baptism is so important. And then we see that we're on a mission to teach Verse 41, the second part of that verse, as well as verse 42 tells us, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they were listening to the apostles as they taught from the Old Testament scriptures, as they made revelation of new scriptures as we have recorded here in the New Testament. The Word of God was being taught. Every local church should be committed to teaching the Word of God. That's why we put such an emphasis on Sunday school here in this assembly. It's because we want every age group to be exposed to the teaching of the Word of God at the level that they can understand and in an environment where they can ask questions and build relationships with people who will hold them accountable. So it's so important to be involved in Bible study and discipleship Classes so that we can grow in our faith and become more and more mature as Christians. We are on a mission as a church. Every local church should be on the mission to give the gospel out to all the world. This week I spoke with Mr. Otis Kaiser, a dear brother in the Lord, a faithful member in this church. He talked about his experience at Normandy, the Normandy invasion, some of other other members have been involved in that as well. The date was June the 6th, 1944. The mission was to land on the beaches of Normandy, France, and free that country from the invaders, the Germans who had occupied it. For days, troops that numbered into the thousands amassed along the shores of Normandy waiting for the time of the assault. The Germans were well prepared. They had placed their guns and their armament to stop this invasion. Finally, the command was given for the Allied forces to advance. Men by the hundreds spilled onto the beaches. As they waded ashore, they were met by a barrage of gunfire. Within a matter of minutes, hundreds of these brave men were scattering all over the shores. 
their warm red blood mixed in with the water and spilled onto the sand as they fell in battle for a cause. As the battle continued throughout the day, men by the thousands died in order to accomplish the mission. Hitler spoke about the importance of this battle when he said, if the enemy here succeeds, consequences of staggering proportions will follow within a short time. He was right. The church of the living God is also on mission. Our enemy has amassed the big guns to do whatever it takes to stop us because he too realizes that if we succeed, the consequences for him will be staggering. A five-star church is composed of believers who understand that they are on mission for the Lord Jesus to reach a lost and dying world. And they are willing to lay down their lives in order to hear Jesus say, Mission accomplished. Oh, we as God's people have a mission. And we need to be actively involved in that mission. And we are looking forward to Jesus, our commander, to say to us one day, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Mission accomplished. But at the present condition of our churches, we will not hear that. We're not being as effective as we must be to reach Georgia and the United States and the world with the gospel. Now we have the message. We have been given the mission. But where's the motivation? As we look at this New Testament church here in the book of Acts, we see the motivation for an evangelizing church. Notice they were motivated by God's presence. Verse 43 tells us this. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So these early Christians were motivated by God's presence. Here, God's people were absolutely awestruck in the presence of God. They were worshiping Him. They were adoring Him. They were overwhelmed by His presence presence and power and as a result that worship that they experienced before the Lord was a great motivation for them to go out and tell other people that they need to come and worship the one true God you know when you boil it all down really that's what we're to do we're to go out into the world and tell people that the one true God has provided a way that they could have a relationship with him And that they're to come and worship this one true God in spirit and in truth. We're trying to get people to come and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what our purpose is in life. Is to worship God and lead others through a salvation experience. So that they too can worship the one that we worship. So this motivation to to go and do evangelism was sparked by the very presence of God. You know, as I mentioned last week. As we talked about worship, the first function that we identified in this church. We can't truly say that we've had a worship experience until we go forth from this place and tell others of our experience. 
and what Jesus has done in our lives. So they were motivated by God's presence. They were also motivated by God's power. Verse 43 also tells us that not only were they experiencing awe as a result of his presence, but they were in wonder at the signs and wonders of things that were taking place by the apostles. Powerful things were occurring in the congregation and among the people of God. Why are so many of our churches dead and dying? Why is so little happening among the people of God today? It's because we no longer have a fear of God. We no longer are wondered by His presence. We're no longer standing in awe of who He is in His greatness. We're not expecting anything from God. We just come in out of duty and we go through our religious routine. And many times we walk out the same way we came in. When people get serious about God and they seek His face, let me tell you, God will work. The problem is not with God, dear people. The problem is with his people. And as we have a return to this place of worship and sincerity before the Lord, I believe we're going to see God's power at work restoring the homes that have been broken. Helping our children be strong and resistant against drugs and pornography and abortion and premarital sex. I believe when we get right with God and we get serious about him, we're going to see people come to know Christ by the scores. And we're going to see this church take off as any church who believes God and trusts him will do. But they were motivated by the presence of God, the power of God, but also they were motivated by the people of God. Notice if you would in verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. Notice how they were together. They were in love with each other. They were committed to one another. They were holding each other accountable. They were providing for each other's needs. They were making sacrifices for the greater good. And all that dynamic of God's people coming together fueled the fire of passion in their hearts to tell others about Jesus. It was a great source of motivation. I believe that's one reason the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that is because we need to come together to stir up one another to faith and good works. We need to come together to hold each other accountable. Listen, the truth is we can't trust ourselves. We need each other to hold each other accountable, to lovingly inspect each other and pray for one another and challenge one another and share our hearts together. Let me tell you, you want to see a dynamic occur in your life, get with three or four Christians and sit down and talk about what you need to do to reach your school for Christ, what you need to do to reach your company for Christ, what you need to do to reach your neighborhood for Christ and how you're going to work in that Sunday school class and how you're going to work in this church or whatever church you're a part of to see that church reach its mission and accomplish the work of God and all of a sudden the Lord will begin to light a fire within you that cannot be quenched and that's what we need in our churches we need people to come together and serve together and see great dynamic things happen for the cause of Christ yes these people were motivated now you go all around the world and you will find that there are literally thousands of militant Muslims 
who are more than willing to strap to their bodies explosives, detonate those explosives, killing themselves and others in the name of their God, Allah. And they do this as a service unto him. They are motivated to die for him. Compare the commitment of Muslims to the average Christian. Just ask the average Christian to help reach the lost by using shuttle parking. Or ask them to join a new Sunday school class, helping you create a new class, a a new unit to reach scores of people for Jesus in the community. Ask them that. Ask these people if they would be willing to move to a different service or, or be willing to move to a different pew. Ask them if they would be willing to come to a teacher's meeting to pray for those in their class and to plan and to strategize about reaching the community. Ask if they are willing to be a part of a faith team. Ask if they are willing to come to outreach visitation. Ask if they're willing to pray. Ask if they're willing to serve in some area of the church and what you'll find is that you will, be re- you will receive a response that is equivalent to cold resistance. Listen. You can't build a five-star church with average Christians. Let me say that again. You cannot reach this lost world with a church filled with average Christians. Reaching this pagan society is going to require more than business as usual. It's going to require more than people being content with wandering in on Sunday morning and stumbling out the same way they entered. It's going to require people who are motivated by the presence and the power of God being demonstrated among his people. Then perhaps we will be motivated to use every means possible to carry out the good news message of Christ to the lost around us. And we've talked about the message of an evangelizing church. The mission of an evangelizing church. The motivation for an evangelizing church. Now finally, I want you to see with me from this passage the multiplication in an evangelizing church. Look with me in verse 47. Here the Bible says in the second part of this verse, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This was a divine multiplication. That is, God was at work among these people. Now friend, listen. We can manufacture some results. We can do some things in this church to to draw a crowd. We can do some things to get people to make some sort of a move. But what I'm interested in is an authentic move of God that is birthed in the hearts of his people that results in people having a genuine experience with Christ where their lives are transformed. Is, Is that what you would like to see? I said, is that what you would like to see? Listen, time is running out. 
We're not getting any younger. The older I get, the faster time goes. Jesus is coming soon. Look at the condition of the world. Look at what is happening in Israel. Look at what is happening on our own shore. We don't have time to waste, dear friends. What we're going to do for Christ, we better do it. As we yield to the Lord God, I will guarantee you there will be a divine multiplication in our church and any church that follows that prescription. Not only a divine multiplication, but a daily multiplication. Look in verse 47. The Bible says this addition happened daily, day by day. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the people were going outside of their congregation and sharing their faith in their workplace and in their schools and in their marketplace, in their neighborhoods. See, most people have this idea that we have a sign outside that tells what time our services are and that the lost people are driving just looking for us. And and they're willing to go through the parking lot trying to find a parking place and try to figure out how to get into the building. Is that the front or is this the front? They're just eager, scratching to get inside this building where we're gathered. And when I stand up to preach... People are going to respond by receiving Jesus as their Savior, even though the majority of my messages are preached to the church to build them up so that they can be witnesses outside the church. But the truth is, God has intended it to work as follows. We come into a sanctuary as Christians. We're gathered here prayerfully in worship studying the Word of God so that we can see what God is telling us, applying that Word to our lives, making sure there's no unconfessed and and unrepented of sin in our lives, and we go forth out of here energized and take the world for Christ. And we communicate with people in the streets of our city, in our homes, in our businesses, and so forth, sharing lovingly the good news message how Jesus came and lived without sin and died upon the cross, was raised from the, from the dead so that we might be saved. And then we welcome them to come and sit with us in a worship service. And then as they have accepted Christ, we lead them down an aisle where they join the church, they're baptized, and they are growing in their faith through studying the Word of God. And then they go out and go through that same process with someone else. That's how God has intended it. That's how people are added daily. They can't be added daily unless God's people are on mission with a message, motivated to go. But it's also a delightful multiplication. Can you imagine the joy in this church? The Bible said that they were serving the Lord with gladness and sincerity of heart, verse 46. And the Bible says, verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all people. It was a joyous church. Why was it joyous? Because they saw purpose to what they were doing. They saw people's lives being changed and transformed by God's power. That's what a church needs to do. A church that is on mission will not be fighting one another. They won't be embittered and scratching around at each other. They will be a church that will be working together side by side, motivated by God's grace, motivated by his love, compassionately telling people about Jesus and lives will be changed and the church will grow. Every church member ought to want the church to grow. 
The most exciting time in the life of any home comes when a baby is born into the family. Isn't that a wonderful time? Thank you, brother. Isn't it a wonderful time? And he doesn't have any children in the home, right? It's a wonderful time. It's a time of celebration. But if you're a parent, you know that when the children come along, everything changes. Can I get an amen to that? You're catching on. Now, you have to provide the space, the furniture, and the supplies necessary for effective parenting. And your schedule is greatly altered with busy days and, of course, sleepless nights. And you spend countless hours and thousands of dollars providing for your children's every need. Although child rearing is one of the most difficult tasks that you'll ever perform, it is also one of the most rewarding The multiplication of God's family is also a time of great excitement. When new believers are added to the church, you can be sure that changes are on the way. You see, in order to to bring new members and to see the church grow, you have to create new space and you have to multiply your ministry and your schedules are altered and money must be invested so that the new believers can continue to grow to maturity. But you can be sure that God wants all of his churches to experience the joy that accompanies a growing congregation. A five-star church is a church that is filled with the love and laughter of new believers. We need to be an evangelizing church. We need to be reaching people for Jesus, no matter where you attend church. If you're in a Bible-teaching church, you should want people to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Write this verse down in the margin of your Bible. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Here the prophet speaks of the rewards coming at the end of time. And he talks about how that those who lead others to the truth will be rewarded. He says these words. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I fear that the clouds of contentment and complacency have covered up the star of evangelism. The time has come for people of faith to confess their sin and repent of their sin of silence regarding the communication of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Then the star of evangelism will shine brightly for all to see. God wants his people to be an evangelizing church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to apply it in our lives today and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.